Good morning. It's good to see you guys today. Eric, my name is Eric Matoya, Pastor of the Grove, and uh, we're, we're excited you guys are here today for part three of I Want to Believe, but uh, we said this, that what if the God that, that, that you walked away from or people walked away from never existed in the first place? I actually don't think that's a bad thing. Killjoy God, not a real God. We, we talked about last week why he doesn't exist. It's, he actually wants something for us in the long term, not just something immediate that we want for, for now, quick, quick fix, pleasure. It's something greater. And so if you walked away from that God, it, that's okay because hopefully it will lead you to the real God, the real God that exists, that has good plans for your life. And so through this series, we're, we're challenging people. Maybe, maybe you should give God another chance because I think you might have walked away from the wrong God, and I'm with you. In fact, when I have conversations with people and they say, oh, church, you know, I really want to do it, I really don't believe in God. And I say, well, tell me about this. Why don't you believe in God? And they give me a long list of all these things of, of why they don't believe in God or the God they don't believe in. And typically, when they're done saying all these things, I can usually say, I don't believe in that God either. That's, that's a good thing you don't believe in that God because that God sounds like a horrible God. I believe in something completely different. And throughout history, people have always invented gods and came up with gods. Um, and, and throughout scriptures, they, the, the scriptures even talk about these as just man-made idols, man-made images of the things that people have, have hoped that they would answer. And that's all these gods are. They're just no more than, a, than an idol, uh, than something that somebody's made up. But the God of creation who made everything, now that's different. And his, his invitation is way different than all of these gods that people walked away from. And so today we hope that we can, we can um, help you with this journey. Uh, I've, I've read a few books to try to prepare for this, this series and, and to learn and grow. And um, I want to just share a couple with you because maybe you're in this place. Maybe you're um, graduating high school and you're going to be going to college. Here's some books that if you're interested in learning, um, a, lot, a lot of high school students, Christians, when they get to college, they walk away from God uh, because there's a lot of professors who are atheists and who will, uh, will, will lay out a really um, persuasive case why God doesn't exist. And a lot of high school students aren't prepared to be able to give an answer why they believe God does exist. And because of that, they assume, well, this person's a lot much smarter, and they just gave me a, a really good um, persuasive talk, so I guess I can believe with them that God doesn't exist. And so I found some books that are encouraging. Maybe you have friends, family that, that want to debate with you or ask you questions and have you have questions yourself. Uh, here's some great books I'd recommend. Uh, Stealing from God by Frank Turek. Uh, great book. He breaks this down, just simplifies it, and it's, it's uh, very easy to read and very helpful to understand. Um, really, the standpoint of atheism and, and some of the arguments they make. And so I borrow a lot from this book for this series. He wrote another book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And so it's a great, great ones you can look into. Um, a book by William Lane Craig called On Guard. Uh, this book gives you the ability to, to, when somebody asks a question about God's existence or whatever, he walks through these different scenarios. Well, when they ask this question, it might be that they're really asking the underlying question, you know, and, and he walks through these different scenarios of how you can respond. So that's something you like. I would encourage you maybe that book. Uh, a movie just came out called The Case for Christ. Uh, by Lee Strobel, um, his story, pretty incredible story. If you haven't heard it, I would, I would encourage you to hear it. Well, Case for Christ is the first book he wrote. After this, he wrote another book called Case for, Case for Faith, and he addresses some of the questions people have about God's existence and other things of that. Great book, Case for Faith. Another one, uh, I found this one actually at, at Goodwill for like a dollar. It's one of the best buys ever. Uh, um, Luis Palau wrote a book called God is Relevant, Finding Strength and Peace in Today's World. And he, he addresses all the different philosophies and world religions and different things that people have come up with and said and, um, wh- you know, what's behind that. And he, he just, it's, it's pretty good, really simple read, easy book. And then today, I'm going to recommend another book. And anything C.S. Lewis writes, I would recommend it. But there's a book called, that he wrote, it's called The Problem of Pain. Um, and this is really appropriate for what we're going to talk about today. The third God that people walk away from. Um, and, and when we say we want to believe, but, and we're going to talk about pain. Uh, but here's the thing with, with C.S. Lewis. Um, he's tasted plenty of pain in his life. Uh, he's, he's no longer alive now, but when he was a kid, um, he lost his mother at an early age. 
Um, he can relate to people that have pain. He saw his dad emotionally abandon him. Uh, he, he suffered from, from illness, respiratory illness as a teenager. Um, he, he fought and was wounded in, in, in war, in World War I. And then he, he had to finally uh, bury his wife. So through all his life, he, he experienced a lot of different pain. And in this, uh, in his journey, so he, he became an atheist through all of the pain. And then as he began to get older, uh, he became a theist who said, okay, there's too much evidence that I believe there's a God. And then eventually became a Christian. And he's one of the greatest um, Christians of, our, of, of history that has really been able to articulate well uh, why we should believe in God, how, how God is awesome. And so uh, he wrote this book. So if you're in this if you're in pain, um, if you've experienced pain, uh, there's people that have gone through pain just like you're going through, and they can, they can help you on this. And so today we're going to talk about the, the, third, the, third, the third God that uh, if you walked away from this, this God, I actually think that's okay. And this is heartless God. Um, pe- people, so if, if people run away the fastest from killjoy God because they want to have fun, I would say the most people walk away from this God, heartless God. Uh, because they say if there was a loving God who was good, why all the suffering? Why all the pain? Why all the evil? Um, in fact, some of the arguments atheists make is if, if God is a good God and he created everything, well, evil is in existence, so therefore he's not a good God and he must not exist. And that's one of the big cases that they make. And today we're going to talk about that, that actually evil is not even a thing. And we'll talk about how uh, we can be able to give some answers. But here's the thing about heartless God and me addressing it. Um, there's two ways we can kind of work towards uh, this idea of evil and suffering and pain. Uh, there's an intellectual way, uh, which everybody... Th- talks about that's what they really want to know and then there's the emotional way uh the emotional way i really can't address that uh, because when somebody has has experienced pain um when when a parent loses a baby um and i'm there with them and or next to them i have no answers to give that parent of why god will allow a baby to die in their arms and their answer no no intellectual answer will be able to help them through that pain Uh, it's an emotional question why um, and we really can't give those, those, those answers. In fact, I can't answer every why something bad has happened. And I'm not going to try. I'm not going to try to explain it. But, but as we walk through today, hopefully you'll see that there's something beyond the, thing, the emotion that we feel and even beyond the intellect. Because the truth is, no matter how intellectually uh, sound my argument is of why, why this guy doesn't exist and why God is a good God, um, you're really going to be asking a, an emotional question of, no, that, that, that's good for you and that, that, that's nice. But what I'm feeling is, is really painful and really hard. And we're going to talk through that. Here's the other part of the emotional part of this. As, as Westerners, we, don't, we, we have pain, but we don't necessarily experience pain all the time on the scale that other, other maybe third world nations have. And I'm not going to minimize our pain because pain is pain. It's real. Uh, but in some cases, there's countries and nations that have only known pain their entire life. Um, they don't have doctors. They don't have the, the, the finances, the resources we do. And all they know is that. And so sometimes as we talk about this, it's hard to address the fact that there's these levels of pain. And when we talk about it, where, where exactly is that threshold um, that is, is okay or not okay? And, and uh, we're going we're gonna to address that. So just know, I have 30 minutes to talk about this. This is a huge topic. Hopefully I can just hit enough to, to encourage you to say, don't give up. There's something good that God has. And then hopefully I'll, I'll encourage you to, to dig more yourselves and learn more answers so that when you have the ability to help others, you can step out and help them. So today we're really addressing the problem evil. We're going to address the problem evil. Uh, this is where, where heartless God is associated with everything bad, everything that's bad, pain, suffering, evil. Uh, why, why are kids starving around the world uh, from, from lack of water, dying from, from, thir- from thirst, and dying from lack of food, uh, starving? Uh, why are all these things taking place? Like if God is a good God and these things are happening, doesn't he see it? And why doesn't he do anything about it? 
And uh, we're going to try to address that. So we're going to talk about the problem of evil today. Um, let me just set it up. There's, there's some cr- doctrines that we believe as Christians. There's some doctrines that the scriptures teach us. The Bible shares with us that, that we have to have as a framework to really understand that there are, um, there's, there's something in all this that God can help us through with. And so the first one is this. Um, the chief purpose of life is not happiness, but it's knowledge of God. Now, this is the scriptures. One of the main, main, main doctrines of the Bible, is, the teachings of the Bible is that this life here on earth, 80 years, 70 years, however long you're going to be living, the chief purpose is not happiness. It is actually knowledge of God. He wants a relationship with every single one of us. So I can see how it can be, how evil is puzzling and how uh, people can be confused by it and, and even assume that God doesn't exist because of it um, if, if they think that the purpose of life is only about happiness. See, because the truth is, if, if, if God's purpose for creating us was only to have happiness and enjoyment here on earth, um, really what we're talking about is, is us being God's pets, as one philosopher says. And we're expecting him to provide an environment that's comfort and easy. Um, but in that, that's really not the world that we have, and that's really not the world we want. Um, and so God's, God's purpose in life is not happiness. And in fact, the narrow view of happiness is just me feeling good and having no, no problems or no challenges ever in my life. Um, and that kind of life actually seems like it'd be really awesome, but it actually would be very boring and would not be at all, would be fun at all. Um, you, you guys ever seen Seinfeld? Remember Seinfeld, the, the, the episode where the, the bubble and they protect this, this person lives in the bubble, right? That is not the kind of life we want, but that's the kind of life people argue for. Well, if God was a good guy, nothing bad would ever happen. Nothing. Okay. Then you want a, a, a world that's in a bubble. And if there's no pain or suffering or, or, or any, any opportunity of, of challenge or difficulty, then you're really living in a world that would have no joy and no other things that we're going to talk about in a second. Um, so when, when we understand that um, it's, his purpose is not to eliminate every kind of bad thing in, in our life so we can be happy, uh, that, that should set it up for a little bit for us to understand this life, there's something more to it than just our happiness. Uh, and the Bible actually goes beyond happiness because he does want us to be happy, but he wants to be fulfilled. He wants joy in our lives. The second thing is this, that mankind is in a state of rebellion against God and his purpose. His purpose is on, on earth. See, in the beginning, God told Adam and Eve, I'm going to give you a choice. And this is the gift God gave us. It's called free will. And this is one of the reasons we have so much evil and suffering that take place is because God created our world to work with choice, with free will. And if we want a world that doesn't have anything that bad ever could happen, we really need to take away free will. And that would be something completely different. We'd no longer be human. We would actually be robots because we would be dictated for us what we need to do, when we need to do all the time. Um, and so when people argue against that, really they're asking for a different kind of world than we have uh, because we live in a state of rebellion against God and his purposes. And he told Adam and Eve, here's the choice before you. You can choose how to live, where to go. It's up to you. You choose it. Um, and in their choices, they chose their own way rather than God's way. And God told them, when you choose this way, death will surely follow that. There will be consequences going opposite of what, what I tell you. When my kids don't do something I ask, you know, there's usually consequences that come with it. Not because I don't love them, I don't care for them, but because I can see if you play with a sharp knife, you are going to cut yourself if you're not good with it. There's consequences to those things, those choices that we make. And so we're in this state of rebellion against God's purposes. Uh, the world is, is, because of that, everything changed as soon as sin entered the, 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 the story. It changes. In fact, the whole Bible is about that. The third thing is this. Uh, God's purpose is not restricted to this life, but it spills over beyond the grave into eternal life. This is the other part that we have to understand. A lot of times when we talk about life, we only think of 80 years here on earth. But the, the story is beyond that. 
like any story, if you got into a story and you were in the first chapter, second chapter, and you're, you're reading, and it's just a whole bunch of horrible events that took place, and you put the book down, and you're like, man, that's a really horrible story. I don't think I'll ever want to read it again. Well, that's kind of how people view life sometimes. The story hasn't been finished. The story's not over. We're just, our 80 years in life is only part of the story. It's not the whole thing. And in fact, the Bible, the whole point of the Bible from the beginning to the end is the redemption story of how God is trying to fix and put things back to rights. He's trying to fix what was broken and what, um, um, what went wrong. And that's why he sent Jesus in the first place to come experience this. And so we believe as Christians that life it spills over after the grave into something more, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Paul says it like this. Second uh, Corinthians four sixteen through eighteen. Now, now the Apostle Paul he experienced a lot of horrible things, suffering. Um, in in one of the one of the verses after this, he says that uh, he's been beaten multiple times, like to the point of almost dying. Um, beaten, getting stoned with rocks, um, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to the point of exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, uh, gone without food many times. So Paul experienced all these hard things of suffering and, and, and challenges. And this is what he says about this life here on earth. He says, so we do not lose heart for this slight and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So he's saying the things we experience here on earth, they're slight momentary afflictions. When you ask somebody that's just been beaten, right, with, with, with a rod to the point of almost dying, that doesn't really seem like a slight momentary affliction. That seems like the worst thing in the world. But he says, in the scheme of, of the, the larger story, this is just a small part of it. It's just a slight momentary affliction. Beyond that, that the weight of glory is beyond all comparison. Because we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so he's saying there's, there's two parts to our life. There's the, the temporary, and then there's the eternal. If you only focus on the temporary, yeah, it's going to seem like it's horrible. But when you think that, when you realize there's something more that's eternal than the story, it changes. And it gets wider, it gets bigger. Um, and so he lived with this perspective of saying, no matter what I face here on earth, it's going to be okay. I can, if, I, if I pursue and I don't give up and I don't lose heart, I'll see the purposes God had for me all this time. And the fourth thing, fourth thing we have to have as a contact is this, that the knowledge of God is the greatest good. What I mean by the greatest good is there's nothing on earth that it can be measured against. Like the knowledge of God, you can't compare it to anything. That's what Paul is saying. It can't be measured. The weight of glory is, is too great. It, you can't measure it to anything on earth. And so the Bible is telling us that knowledge of God is the greatest good that we can have. And so with this kind of context, and there's more, more doctrines the Bible talks about that would explain uh, some of why evil exists and why, why bad things happen. Right? Um, and, and we have to decide. So we're, we're in this, this, this choice here on earth. Um, I really don't want to go with the atheist view of meaninglessness where nothing really matters uh, because there's no point to living. And once we're dead, it's all gone. Um, and there's this side of where God has invited me to purpose and meaning, but it, it means I have to do it on his terms, which I really don't want to do on his terms. I want to do life on my terms. And so you, we get ourselves stuck in, in the middle of this. And, and people begin to ask, well, you know, I, I don't want to believe in this side because it's hopeless and depressing. And this side, well, I have to give up some of my autonomy to be able to, to um, do what he wants me to do, and, and we're kind of stuck there. So people ask, well, you know, I want to believe in this, but why doesn't God stop evil? Why doesn't he... Why, you know, he could if he wanted to. He's powerful enough. But why doesn't he do this? Um, and, and I guess the question would be, well, where does he start? Because um, if he has to stop evil, he might have to start with you. And he might have to start with me. Because where is that level of evil that is, or, or pain or suffering or bad that is, is, is okay to be able to, to let go on? And where is that where we really need to stop that? 
Because the truth is, Paul says, all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. You have, and I have, many times on a daily basis, hourly basis in some cases. And the Bible says, because of sin, it separates us from God. So where does God start? With you? With me? And a lot of us say, no, not with me, with those people that are really bad. But where's that level? Who gets to set that standard? Where do we start there? Um, and so, you know, since there's, there's a good God in this world, people say, um, you know, there, if there's a loving God, uh, why, does he, why, does, why do bad things happen to good people? Um, but I would like to change that question. And I would like to say this, you know, so if, if there is such a bad God that doesn't like us so much, why is there good? And why do good things happen to bad people? Because the Bible is very clear. It never says anywhere in the Bible that God's intention was to give us the life we wanted, the perfect life, that, that everything that we want and request will fall into place. It doesn't, doesn't say that. And it never says that God is not going to allow those things to happen. It says that he, he sends the good, the good things to the good and the bad. He, he sends rain to the, to the just and the unjust. He sends good things and bad things to both. And it just happens. It's part of the life. It's part of what is going on. Um, but maybe, maybe we want to put God on the hook of why bad things happen so that we can take ourselves off the hook and just do what we want to do. And really, in these books that I'm reading, I, I, I find that's really the, what people are really trying to do. Is they're saying, if I can push God so far away and make him non-existent, well, I'm no longer on the hook to, to not do things that I know I shouldn't do. I can just do whatever I want. And it's, it's interesting that the people that push atheism the strong, some of them that pushed it the strongest, actually ended up doing some of the worst damage in world history. If you compare some of the numbers with some of the regimes, uh, the communist regimes, that how many people they killed, um, 20 million just in China through Mao, he believed in atheism and that there should, we should be able to do whatever we want to do. So tell me how that's better than serving a God that's telling us not to kill people and not do these things. And, and, and it's contrary. So in this, I would say, you know, if, yeah, if you only focus on the bad parts of, of, of earth, it'd be really easy to say it's meaningless. There must not be a God. But the question is, where does good come from then? Um, he's not, you know, we try to ignore all the other things so we can do our own thing. Um, but it's, it's interesting how people don't say, you know, since there's so much good in this world that there must be a loving God. It's always we focus on the negative part of it. Um, Harold, Harold Kushner says it like this. He calls this the atheist dilemma. You know, the, the, the atheist would say our dilemma is try to explain evil. But he says the atheist dilemma is this. The atheist has to explain why there is love and honesty and generosity and courage. And, and where do you get courage from anyways? Like if there's nothing ever to face that's, that's potentially dangerous, how do you develop courage and altruism in the world? And why it feels so good and so right when we let these qualities into our lives? So this is the, the atheist dilemma. How do you explain good in the middle of all this? Sure, we could focus on the bad, and everything we could ever see is only bad. Um, this, this is the, but what you focus on is actually what you become, and what you, what you let grab your attention is what, whatever gets you, gets your attention, gets you. And if you only focus on evil, eventually, yes, you will only find evil in this world. But what about good? There's a problem with good also. Where does good come from? Uh, C.S. Lewis we're talking about him, he was an atheist before he became a Christian, a Christ follower. And as an atheist, he said this, As an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? Where did this idea come from? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? So as an atheist, he was saying, yeah, God doesn't exist because of injustice and what has taken place. And, and it seems like nobody's stepping in to stop it. But he's saying, but where did I get this comparison with? If there is no God, 
then it really doesn't matter because morality really doesn't exist. It's just something we've come up with. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You can kill as many people as you want because you're going to go away and there's no reason to exist. But where do we get this comparison of good and bad? And so the very thing that atheists say should disprove God, I actually think works for us, not against us. The very fact that there is evil is actually evidence for God. Not because he created it, because evil is not a thing. But we can say it like this. The shadow, it proves that there is a sun. Whenever you see a shadow, it just proves that there is light. So what is a shadow? Is a shadow a thing? No. It's just a lack of light, a deficiency of light. It's where light has been taken away. So the shadow is only proof of the sun. It, 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 you can only explain evil with the backdrop of good. Take away good, and you can't explain evil. There's no way to be able to explain it because it goes away. If there's no good, there's no evil. So how do we get this idea? It's, it's really just an absence or a lack, of, a deficiency of something or a negation of something good. We use words like this, immoral. Well, that's immoral. That's, that's, what does that mean? It's, it, we take away something that, that it has no morality in it, then it becomes immoral. That's unjust. Well, unjust is not, it's, it's just a lack of justice. That's unfair. Evil, right, is just is, is taking away something, a negation of something that's good or dishonest. Dishonesty only exists when honesty is taken away. So evil only exists when good is taken away from that very thing. So we will say, there's not, there's not a God because evil exists. No, evil exists because God has been taken out of the equation and out of the picture. When Adam and Eve sinned, they chose the opposite of God's way, which is good, and evil resulted from it, and death resulted from it, and, and, and sickness, all the things that came with it. And so we say, um, if God is such a good God, why does evil exist? Because we chose that. And the whole story, point of the Bible, is he's trying to redeem it. The one word we use for the scripture, for the Bible, is redemption. It's a redemption story of how God is trying to fix and put back things that are broken. In your life, he wants to redeem and fix things, and even use their hurts to bring something good. Uh, C.S. Lewis says it like this in, in his book the, about, about pain. He says that pain, it always insists upon being attended to. When you break an arm, you know you have to, you have to address that. Because pain is saying, your arm is saying, it's broken, you've got to fix it. Pain is always yelling at us. But maybe the, the fact when there is pain, it's saying something's wrong, let's fix this. He goes on to say this, that God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When we see pain and suffering, maybe this is God's megaphone to say, wake up. Something's not right. Something's broken. Can somebody please do something about this and help me with this? See, throughout scriptures, God is always looking for somebody to step in and do something about the injustice and the wrongs that have been done. God himself has done something, but he's always inviting others to help him to partner with him and do things. He works through humans to bring about good in this world. So when it comes to injustice and evil, you know, a lot of people say, well, there's so much bad going on and, you know, God's not doing anything about it. So when it comes to people that are evil and doing wrong, you know, we want justice for them. We want justice for everybody else, but we want mercy for ourselves. You know, I said, where do we start? If God was to eliminate evil, where should he start? With you? With me? Because if he's going to eliminate evil, he has to eliminate all of us because we all have the ability to create evil and do evil. Every decision you make has the potential for good or for bad. And so where does he start? With you? Well, no, not me. Like, man, that, the guy that just killed a whole bunch of people, that, that, start with that guy. But where's that threshold of pain and suffering? And when is it too bad? And when is it good? Because there is some good to challenges and to pain. You know, you can't build muscles without pain. You have to break through and you have to, you have to, you, you can't have courage without some kind of challenge. 
all the things in character that God is building in our lives, you can't develop those without challenges in life. So where does he start? Because there's not, not, not all bad is bad. There's some things that God can do good in those things. So if God doesn't limit it, he might start with you. And we all would say, I'm glad he doesn't start with me. Because we want justice for everybody else. We want mercy for ourselves. And here's, here's the truth, that God will give justice. The story's not over. Just, just hang on. He says that he will give justice to everybody for the, what they deserve for all the actions they've done. So those people that have killed millions of people uh, because they were trying to promote their agenda, they will be held accountable for that. Maybe not in this life. Some are, but not all. But they will be held accountable. And there will be a judgment after this world is over. Second uh, Peter says it like this. The Lord really isn't really being slow about his promises, as some people might think, like, all right, he's not showing up, he must not exist. No, he is being patient for your sake, for my sake. He does not want anyone to be, be destroyed, but wants everybody to repent. He wants nobody to go to hell, but he wants everybody to find him and know him. See, hell wasn't created for, for humans. Hell was created for the angels that, so Lucifer was one of, the, one of the archangels for the kingdom of God. He rebelled and took a third of the angels with him. And God created hell for them as, as their, their place to go. Hell is not somewhere God sends people to go. It's somewhere people choose to go because they say no to God. And the choice is ours. He says the choice is yours. So Peter's saying God's not being slow about this. Justice will come. Payday will happen. But just hang on. The story's not over. Keep going. In fact, Psalms 103 says it like this, 10 through 12. God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. So those that call upon God and say, all right, forgive me for my evil, forgive me for what I've done. It says he removes our sins away from us as far as the east is from the west. Like it goes away. It's no longer there. He fixes that part. You know, in life, we, we think in, in, in terms of, of minutes, hours, days. We keep track of time like that. But God is outside of our time. He's eternal. Uh, he's not bound by, by limitation of time like we are. And one day we won't be. So when we think about time, we think of, um, of years. We think of days and weeks and months. You know, if, if, if I told my, my eight-year-old daughter, all right, you, say, like, you're going to have to wait eight years to be able to afford this thing or do this thing. Well, eight years to her is forever because it's a lifetime. Eight years for my daughter is her whole life. But if I told my daughter at 16, hey, in eight years, you'll be able to afford this or do this with your life. Well, now that's half her life, right? And eight years is, 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 would be half of what she'd already lived. And if we keep moving forward, 24 years, that'd be a third of her life. At 32, if somebody said, in eight years, you could be able to afford your house, you could be able to, to, to have kids, you can, get, you can get married or whatever the, the thing is, eight years is no longer all that long. For a 64-year-old, that's only an eighth of our life. And for an 80-year-old, that's only a tenth. But now if you ask somebody who's lived 800 years, 808 years doesn't seem all that long. And if you ask somebody who lived 800 million years, eight years really is just a little blimp on the radar. Like you can't even see it anymore. We as humans think of eight years in, in terms of 80 years, and it's kind of a good chunk. But in the, in, in, in the scope of eternity, eight years or two years or one year is really nothing. And so what happens is we choose this short span of time to do everything we want to do without thinking about the ramifications for eternity. And scripture is saying the story is only unfolding, it's only started. Don't be foolish with these few years you have because you'll lose everything that God has for you, not just here on earth, but in eternity. And we get so focused on pain and suffering. So maybe a loving God is actually allowing things 
um, where he could step in and he could control everything and change it. But maybe he's allowing something so people can develop. He can, he can use, you, he, he, this is what scripture says, he could turn every evil, every bad for good. Like he could turn it around. So a kid just, just, just dies in, 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 in an earthquake in a third world country. And everybody watches it. This is a true story. Like a guy watched this kid trapped um, in rubble. And he, they couldn't rescue him. And eventually he dies in front of the cameras. Like people like, can't do anything to save this kid because he's in the rubble of an, of an earthquake in South America. And this guy says, there's no God. He just watched this kid die and do anything about it. But maybe in the middle of this, God is trying to show something that the reason these people have houses that, that crumble in these, these complexes is because they're inefficient. They, no money was put into them because there's no money to, to be able to afford it. Where you have these rich people just up the hill who have taken all the money away from these poor people. And maybe this is just a, show, a, a proof of the injustice that's happening in front of us. And that picture and that, that story of that kid is actually trying to, um, God's megaphone to say, wake up. You're living in a way that doesn't care about others, and then you blame me for it. Our pain, our suffering that's going on around the world, God will take those things. He doesn't intend for it. He doesn't want it. But he'll take everything we face, and he'll turn it into something good. And that kid that did die, God wrapped him in his arms that day and said, welcome to my kingdom. That's an amazing thing. That's not a bad thing. It's horrible that it happened. And that's why I say intellect doesn't register in our hearts. That's very heartless, Eric. You're talking about a kid that just died. Yeah, my heart breaks for that. And God's heart breaks for it also. But that's the repercussions and that's the consequences of sin and doing our own things in our own way. We know things cause cancer and we continue to take them in. And then as soon as, or, or people put it in the air or put it in the, the water, and then as soon as somebody gets cancer, it's like, God, why'd you give me cancer? Like, I did not give you cancer. 20 years ago, you guys started fooling around with all this stuff. That gives you cancer. So don't be mad at me. Go be mad at the scientists and go be mad at these people. But God gets blamed for our poor choices. It's the consequences of our choices. So sometimes we can't explain every evil thing that's happened and everything that goes on. But this is what we have to understand that now, now is temporary. Eight years, one year. If you've had a year of suffering and pain and hardship, hang in there. It's only part of the story. And God could turn that one year to do amazing things in 10 or 20 years. It's not the end of the story. Hang in there. Don't give up. And the same way for us, now, 80 years in life is only temporary, but forever is not. It's forever. It goes on and on and on. The greatest thing I can teach my kids is, guys, this life, whatever happens, man, we can't let it shake us because God has a bigger, better story that's going to unfold and it's going to happen if we just hang in there, if we trust him. Don't get sucked into the 80 years and think that it's all about these years. Don't get sucked into the few years, the few days, the few moments of pleasure the drugs, the alcohol, the sex that makes you feel good for a second, but then robs you of everything that God has for you. Was it worth it? No, it's not. Because you traded a moment of pleasure for something greater that God has for you. And here's the thing. Don't confuse good. Don't confuse God, who is good, with life, which can be hard and which is hard. Don't confuse the two. Life is unfolding very harsh and very hard because we have made choices, poor choices, that have caused pain and suffering in this world. We did it. And, and it's unfolding. And God doesn't step in. He, but but here's, here, he wants to do something. So when it comes to God, evil, suffering, a few things you have to know. God is always past. He's always present. He's always future. All right? So past. God did do something about it. He warned Adam and Eve and said, don't do this. Here's the consequences. Don't choose it. And then they chose wrong. And he said, okay, I'm now going to step in and solve this dilemma so you can have a way back to God. And he sent his son to experience pain and suffering and evil and injustice. 
He died at the hands of the people he was trying to help the most. And he's, he's, he experienced pain. He understands pain. He's not heartless because he knows what you feel and he fills it with you and he says, hang in there. It's not the end of the story. Let me use this for good. So he did do something. He sent his son on the cross. Sent his son to die on a cross for us so he can redeem the world. He wants to do something, which means throughout human history, he's always saying, there's something wrong here. Would you do something about this? Because he works through humans. He doesn't step in as a God that controls. He says, hey, I want to invite you to do something about this problem. That thing that bothers you so much, it's probably God tapping you on the shoulder saying, hey, you should do something about that. I'll help you. I'll resource you. I'll give you the ability to do it if you will just step out and do something about it. So the kids that are dying of hunger around the world, if that bugs you, do something about it. It might be God saying, hey, wake up. I want you to fix this. And then he will do something about it. What I mean by that, he's going to give justice to every, every evil action that's ever occurred. He will give justice. And it will happen. And those that chose to do their thing away from God and his purposes and his will, they will receive his justice. And it was their choice to walk away from him. But those who receive and accept his, his, his punishment and his payment for our sins... We will receive eternal life, the Bible says. We're part of his family. But the choice is ours. That's what I love about God. He gives us the choice. He doesn't force it. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. He always, he's always looking for people to work through. Um, don't forget the future will be the longest, though. So you want to make choices that way. You know, I want to tell you about... A, well, let me read one more scripture, and then I'm going to tell you about a man. Second um, Corinthians, we read this already, but he says, We do not lose heart, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. God's going to do something in our pain and our suffering. Even when evil exists, God wants to do something in the middle of all that. Because what is seen is transient, but things that are unseen are eternal. There's, there's something more to the story. Don't, don't, don't lose it. Talk about this man named Nick Vojcic. Nick Vojcic, born in Australia to, uh, with no arms and no legs. This guy's amazing. I love this guy. 30, 35, 36, I'm thinking, is about where he's at. Um, Talk about pain and suffering. Talk about injustice. Something that wouldn't... Somebody who can cry out and say, God, you're unfair. You, you, if you're a good God, you let this happen, then you must not be a good God. If anybody could say that, I would say Nick is probably somebody they could. Grew up without arms, without legs. And the very thing that people would say, oh man, that's probably the worst thing, turned out to be one of the best things. Because he, he travels the world to help and to encourage and to help others know that God loves them and he has good plans for their life. No arms, no legs. He wrote a book... Uh, thing called Life Without Limits. Um, great book. He has, he, he's written a few books. He's a motivational speaker. Just just Google him sometime. If you're feeling down and you think your life is painful and hard, man, go, go listen to his story. Because um, here's the thing. No matter how what we go through, somebody else has either gone through that or is going through it and has overcome. And if you don't give up, you can also overcome. God can take that. Uh, he, he has a family. This is an old picture. He actually has two kids now that are healthy and a uh, beautiful family. It's amazing. In the middle of it, he chose to focus on the positive, not the negative. He said it like this in his book. I have the choice to be angry at God for what I don't have or be thankful for what I do have. Our world says there's so much evil, God must not exist. Well, if you only focus on evil, you can think that. I say our world has so much good, God is whispering and saying I'm here all the time. You choose. What you focus on will eventually get your attention and you'll become. What are you going to focus on? Some other quote he said, if you can't get a miracle, become one. What are you waiting for? Why don't you be the thing? In fact, if you're, if you're pain, one of the answers to pain is to find somebody else that has that same pain and help them through it. 
And you'll begin to realize your pain diminishes and it leaves. Every disability you have, he says, you are blessed. For every disability, you are blessed with more than enough abilities to overcome your challenges. He says, don't, don't put your life on hold so you can dwell on the unfairness of the past hurts. Don't stop. Like, just keep moving forward. You can deal with that stuff as you, as you grow and learn. So here's, here's our challenge for today. And hopefully I, I gave a little bit. If you have more questions, man, we'd love to talk with you. Hopefully we can point you in the right direction. There's a ton of answers. But here's my challenge. Would you choose good? This week, today, would you choose good? What I say, mean by that is you choose God, you choose good. Because you can focus on evil, you can focus on the problem, where you can say, all right, God, I'm going to trust that in the middle of this, you can do good in it. And when you focus on God and on good, he will begin to reveal better things for your life than you ever thought possible. And he can redeem the bad and the suffering because he has purpose in our pain all the time. He'll take, take that pain and he'll turn it into something beautiful. And he's always present in the middle of pain and suffering. He's not ignoring the cries of the widow and the, and the helpless. He's there in the middle of it with them. And he's tapping people on the shoulder saying, would you do something about this? That might be you. So when you choose good, if, if, if maybe you're experiencing pain, let God turn that pain and that bad into something beautiful, something good. That's not easy. It's emotional. It's hard. But God can work through with it. And if, if you maybe uh, you, you're not suffering at this moment, but maybe you want to be, you'll become a partner with God to overcome evil with good. Another invitation he makes to us. So maybe your invitation today is by choosing good is saying, I want to do something with my life. So we have, we have uh, people that in this room, every one of us has these gifts and these abilities. Growth track, we talk about how to discover like how God's wired us. But you have gifts and abilities that God has given you for a reason. Some in this room, you have the ability as a business person to make a lot of money. And it's a great gift. Why? Because you can help resource, you can help people to overcome some of the challenges in life that they have. It's a great gift. Others have the gift of mercy and compassion where you can sit with people and you can walk them through their pain. It's a beautiful gift. We need your gift to stand up and say, use me, God, and the gifts you've given me. It's not a bad thing. Gifts of leadership. Lead. Whatever gifts he gives us. Because as Christ followers, God gives you at least, I believe, at least one gift, but many times multiple gifts. You learn to use those gifts to accomplish his good things. What if we use these 80 years... Not for ourselves, but to be able to invite hundreds and thousands and millions of people to say, hey, don't get stuck on the 80 years. Don't get stuck on the eight years or the one year because eternity is so much greater. Let's overcome evil with good. So this week, today, would you choose good? We have, we have opportunities for us all the time. Choose good. Heartless God does not exist. That's not a real God. If you walked away from him, good for you. I want to invite you now to walk towards God that has a heart, that loves, that cares, that has compassion and grace. Peter says it like this. And we already read this, but I'm reading it again. The Lord is not being slow as some people would think about his promises. He's not being slow. He is being patient for your sake. He's been patient for a long time. And for a long time, he's been inviting you to come back or for the first time, come to him for the first time. And some people in this room have been running away from him and doing their own thing because they say, you know, evil exists and all this stuff. And they use his excuses to keep doing their own thing. But in the middle of it, they know this is not right. And God is calling me back. Because he doesn't want anybody to be destroyed, but wants everybody to repent. And today, if you're here, I want to give you the opportunity to do just that. If you find yourself walking away from God, the quickest way back to him is to stop the path you're on and turn around and go towards him. The Bible calls it repentance. 
we stop those actions that lead away from him and we say yes to the things he does. We say no to the temporary things so we can say yes to the eternal things. Would you do me a favor? Close your eyes and bow your heads today as we close service. If you're here today and you hear my words and you've, you've, you've chosen to focus on evil, you've chosen to even create evil and do evil, today God is calling you back. He wants to change your story. He wants to invite you to begin to focus on good, be a part of doing good. If that's you to hear today, you need to repent. You need to say, God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for my evil. Would you do me a favor? Would you raise your hand let me know you're here? I see your hand. Awesome. I see your hands. I see your hands. Awesome. More importantly than me seeing your hands, God sees your hands. And this is why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. So he can give us a way back to him to be forgiven of our injustice and our sin and our evil. Awesome. So if you raise your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's a simple prayer of invitation of relationship with God. So the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's just to forgive us and give us a new start, a new life. And then he invites us and says, use this life for good, not just for your own personal pleasure and your own profit. Use it for good. So if you raise your hand, would you say this prayer with me? If you're a Christ follower today, would you pray with us? Say this, today, God, I ask for your help. Forgive me of my sin, for my injustice, for my evil. I turn away from those things and say yes to you today. I believe you sent your son to die in my place. To give me a way back to you, Father. Thank you for that. Today, I invite you into my life. Creating me a new heart. Help me become a new person. Help me to follow your lead. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.